We made this. To Life's Milestones, a podcast about naming ceremonies and birth, weddings and relationships, and funerals and death, here on the We Made This Podcast Network. My name's Mark Adams, I am your host, and I am a humanist celebrant. Every fortnight, I have a different guest, and we chat about all these things with the hope that we can tell some interesting stories and perhaps even reached the taboo that is talking about death. And it has been a while. It's supposed to be fortnightly, but the COVID-19 thing, this podcast for me is such an intimate topic, and my guests are people who trust me. And I've always found that for this particular podcast, more than any other podcast that I do, that I like to do this face-to-face. I like to sit down with a cup of tea with someone that I know and have a conversation about these serious and very deeply personal things. And and until very recently, for three months, that wasn't possible at all. And I did have one electronically recorded, and I lost some footage, so that couldn't go up. And then I thought about trying to get other people who might be comfortable recording over the internet, and that took a while. But I did find someone. I found Colin Jackson-Brown who is a friend of mine through the We Made This Podcast Network, who is also on one of my other podcasts, the Red Dwarf podcast that I do, Shipwrecked and Comatose. If you are interested in that, it's at Red Dwarf Pod on Twitter. Forgive me for the cheap plug. So I'm really pleased to have Colin back on. I'm really pleased to have the podcast back after a unplanned hiatus. But before we get into my chat with Colin, I've got some fantastic, fantastic news. During lockdown... I was scheduled to do my naming ceremony training and I was concerned that I wouldn't be able to do that because I wouldn't be able to go to Warwick where they hosted all of my previous training. But Humanists UK were brilliant and they converted their course so that it could be done online. And as of this week, I am now a Humanists UK accredited naming ceremony celebrant. What that does mean is that I now have all three of the major ceremony types that I can provide for people. And there's a wonderful term that I'm so pleased that I now get to use. Someone who can do all three ceremonies for you is referred to by some people as a life cycle celebrant. So as of this week, I am a life cycle celebrant and I'm so happy. I'm so pleased. And I'm really looking forward to getting out there and doing my first naming ceremonies for people. I have got a couple booked, believe it or not, and fingers crossed they will happen despite the current situation with COVID-19. You might have also seen in the news that Humanists UK have taken the government to court for the legalisation of humanist marriage. And I encourage everybody who believes in equality to support Humanists UK and all we want is for non-religious people to have the same rights as people who have faith. So please do consider looking up that court case, writing to your MP, tweeting your MP, anything that you can do to help. Please do have a look at the Humanists UK website and see if you can support us. That's humanism.org.uk and it will be the biggest headline on there at the moment. The new lockdown rules do mean that I can now go and socially distanced podcast with people, which I'm so pleased about. And I've got a couple of guests already scheduled in the diary. I also have some of the footage from the interview I did with Tony Black, who is the head honcho here at We Made This. And at some point when I can get a slot in his very busy podcasting diary, we are going to finish that and re-record the funeral stuff. And I will be bringing that to you probably August or September. And one more thing before we get into my lovely chat with Colin is I announced this on the last episode of Life's Milestones and anybody who listens into this podcast, you are welcome to claim a 10% discount on my fees for a wedding and now 
for a naming ceremony. So it's 10% discount on either of those two ceremony types. All you have to do when you email me to book me as your celebrant is to quote the word milestones. So without further ado, it is Colin. And Colin's a brilliant guy who I love podcasting with. He's been on Paul or Pass, which is my comic book podcast. He's been on Don't Say the C Word, which was my podcast during the COVID-19 lockdown. And he's been on Shipwrecked and Comatose with me, which is We Made This Is Red Dwarf podcast. I've spent a lot of time with Colin during lockdown and we've become good mates. And I was so pleased when he agreed to do Life's Milestones. Also on We Made This, this is the man behind We Dig Music and Free With This Month's Issue, two music podcasts. The boy does love his music. So without further ado, I'm going to hand over to the interview that I did with Colin Jackson-Brown. With me at this time is Colin Jackson-Brown. Hello, Colin. Hello. You all right? <laughs> I'm all right, thank you. And, Good. Um, thank you very much for being on Life's Milestones. And um, I'm looking forward to um, having a chat with you about birth, relationships, and funerals. Yeah. So should we get on with it? Yeah, definitely. Let's go for it. So a little bit of a guest profile before we get into that. And just so that um, we can kind of get a gauge on what kind of your answers may be, how old are you? I'm 38. I was born in 1982. Okay, so you're a similar age to me then, which um, I'm trying to get a, a nice mix of people from different ages to get different perspectives, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. So where are you from and what's your background? I am from uh, originally from uh, Polesworth in North Warwickshire, so really close to uh, Tamworth. And I'm basically a complete music nerd. I've played in various unsuccessful bands, <laughs> depending on your measure of success. Uh, had a lot of fun doing it, but uh, never played anywhere. Particularly, uh, well, I've played a few exciting ones, but not to anybody that had heard of me. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, played played Glastonbury. I've played a uh, saloon in Nevada. Uh, you know, that, that kind of thing. But uh, other than that, local gigs and that kind of stuff. Uh, and I do uh, some some of them podcasty things these days. The podcasty things? Tell me about the podcasty things. Well, they're, they're a bit like, like, they're a bit like radio, but people download them. You, you should check them out. You should you should have a listen. They're, they're pretty cool. You should do some, actually. I think that that would work quite well. But the the, the specific ones I do, um, I've got a, a podcast called Free With This Month's Issue, which is uh, me and my uh, my best mate, Ian. We uh, have a guest on each month, and we listen to old uh, free CDs from magazines like Kerrang, Enemy, Metal Hammer, etc., and just basically talk about the songs and how brilliant some and horrible other ones are and then my other podcast which uh, has been going for just over three years is uh, we dig music which is me ian again and our other friend tracy we have we have two bands in each episode a, a big well-known band and a lesser not quite as well-known band so we try and keep it diverse so we've had episodes where we've done fleetwood mac and fear factory or uh you know, we've been all over the bloody place. Uh, done David Bowie, we've done ACDC, we've done White Zombie. Uh, we just talk about bands that we, at least one of us likes usually. Sometimes there's quite quite <laughs> fun episodes where two people don't like the band and one person does or two people like the band. And But I quite like the ones where all three of us are really enthusiastic as well. Although loads mm. of people say that their favourite episode is the uh, Oasis episode where I am the only person that can say anything positive about them at all and Ian just gets angrier and angrier because he absolutely hates them. <laughs> <laughs> you do have a third podcast as well, though, Colin. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's, I'm, I am a regular guest on Shipwrecked and Comatose, what you do about as well about Red Dwarf. I know, that's a new podcast that um, I've started since launching Life's Milestones. And 
bizarrely because I had to have a little bit of a hiatus. There's more episodes of that now than there is of this, which <laughs> was never supposed to be the, the plan. But it was just kind of like there were a few of us on our network that like Red Dwarf. So yeah. why don't we have a chat about it? Absolutely. And it, it was like me and you, both of us have sort of watched the earlier series and not seen the, the later Dave stuff. And it's like sort of rekindled it, hasn't it? So uh, Definitely. It's very exciting and, and, and fun and nice and lovely. <laughs> Podcasting's brilliant, isn't it? It's pretty good, yeah. So like people even download them and listen to them. It's great. Hello, people listening. <laughs> <laughs> So let's move on to talking about birth. When and where and how were you born? Uh, it, uh, it was January 1982 uh, in George Eliot Hospital in Nuneaton. And it was, as my gran used to tell me every single year, the coldest winter in 100 years or whatever it was. It was, it was bloody freezing. Have you actually fact-checked that? Was she right? It's me gran, I, I can't be arsed, I'm just going to go with what she said. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I don't want to fact check it and find out she's wrong, you know. I'm gonna, I am I want to go with, with what me gran said on that, because I quite like the story. I know it was really horrible and snowy and the visibility was crap, because uh, when my dad was driving to visit me and mum in the hospital, he took a wrong turning and nearly ended up driving into a quarry on the way there. Bloody hell. He didn't, which was good, because, <laughs> you know, he's still around and he's ace. <laughs> <laughs> that could have been an entirely much more, you know, tragic start. But, uh, yeah, no, he, he didn't drive into this quarry. He realised in time and uh, and carried on to uh, to the hospital. <laughs> good. I'm but, glad yeah. to hear it. That I mean, um, I think, um, I guess I do tempt fate by having people on not knowing the exact answers that they're going to answer to the questions that they ask on this podcast. That one could have been really grim, so I'm glad it wasn't, because I like <laughs> no. you, and you know. No, it's all, it's, it's all good. <laughs> so tell us a favourite story about your childhood. So I was trying to think about this one, because obviously you sent me the questions, and in my head I'm thinking, right, what's what's a favourite story about my childhood? And I... I I couldn't think of any sort of specific ones. I used to, I had, I, Polesworth, where I grew up, is a um, nice little sort of, it's between a small town and a village, and me and my mm. mates used to ride our bikes and go and explore all the fields and walk down the along the river and stuff like that. And then one day, I don't know why this kept appearing in my head, but one day we found a cat that had been run over by a combine harvester, which is just like something out of a Stephen King book. And then I'm thinking, no, 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 Mark said a nice story. Don't tell him about a uh, a cat that had been run over by a combine harvester. He won't like that. He likes cats. So You're what right. I'll do instead is go with one that makes me sound a lot less like a serial killer, which was the the sort of origin story for me being a music geek, which was I was sitting in my room reading the Beano when I was about eight or nine, and uh, my dad came in, just gave me a tape and went, you'll like that, it's noisy. Uh, and it was Guns N' Roses' uh, Appetite for Destruction. Nice. I remember putting it on, listening to it, and uh, thinking, yeah, yeah, this is noisy, I dig this. This is, uh, it's got some, some noisy guitars, some loud drums, and that singer bloke sounds pretty cool. And then I listened to the lyrics and realised that it said the word fuck. And as a, an eight- or nine-year-old, I was like, this is bloody brilliant. And uh, what really caught my attention was the, uh, the the terrible, terrible language in it, which I'd never heard anything like, really, and uh, immediately told all my mates at school, and that's what turned me into the music nerd that I am. So uh, swearing in music is big and clever. Clearly, <laughs> clearly. Yeah. And um, I, think, I think most kids, the first time they hear the word fuck in any kind of popular culture it'll be something that they will remember. But I love how it basically formulated your life. Yeah. That, uh, <laughs> the, word, the word fuck has formulated your life, Colin. The exact phrase, I'm fucking innocent, from uh, <laughs> Out to Get Me, which, thinking back, 
that's not even the first time he says it on the album. I just can't have been paying attention the first few times. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Isn't it weird how just the strangest of things can change your life? Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, my my dad's a, a musician as well. Um, he's a he's a really good guitarist and, and singer, and I've always been around music, so I was probably going to get into music anyway. But that is the bit that I can remember where I I suddenly went, nah, music music's the thing, you know. Not interested in pretty much anything else. Music is the thing, or at least it was for me when I was younger. I um perhaps not so much into music now as I was, but. I, I just don't have a time when I'm, I'm a, certainly when I'm alone where I haven't got music on. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very rare that I've. In fact, the the other day I did actually not have music or uh, a podcast on. When I obviously I don't do it when I'm you know sitting there with people like you know sitting with with my wife and. And my daughter and talking spoilers for later mm. questions, um, <laughs> but you know I, I wouldn't sit there with my headphones on then. But if I, I I do a lot of walking at the moment and I've always got my headphones on. The other day I was I went out for a walk and there was a thunderstorm, and firstly I was I'd got my headphones on. And I was listening to the new Phoebe Bridges record that I'd been waiting for for ages, and it was absolutely amazing, but. Uh, it's only about 45 minutes long. So when that finished, I decided to take my headphones off and just listen to the thunder and, and walk through the rain. And that was pretty awesome. So sometimes it's worth not listening to music or a podcast, but obviously not for people that are listening to this now. Don't turn it off. Carry on listening. Do that later. <laughs> <laughs> so you've already spoiled this, but the next question is, do you have children? Yes, you do. How many? Uh, I have one. I have a four-year-old daughter called Elodie, and she's absolutely brilliant. Uh, she's completely insane. Very, 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 very funny. And, yeah, she's she's got my ridiculous sense of humour, which is great. Well, I approve of that. And I, I also love the name, Elodie. Where did that come from? So, it's going back to music again. <laughs> she's named after... Uh, there's there's a, a band from... I think they're from Newcastle upon Tyne. They're definitely around that area called Lanterns on the Lake. And the first track on their second album is called Elodie. And it's an absolutely beautiful song. But specifically, Elodie is named after the instrumental guitar solo bit because it's uh, just one of the most perfect bits of music ever recorded. So she's not just named after the song. She's named after that guitar solo, I have decided. (laughs) That's really cool. Do you think yeah. that she'll eventually you'll you'll eventually tell her that? And do you think she'll like that? Yeah, she does. She knows. Um she she sometimes asks me to put her song on. We've also got the band on their website sell artwork that they've made with their lyrics. So um Hazel Wilde, their singer, writes out all the lyrics in sort of really nice handwriting and she's written the lyrics to Elodie, which we've got framed but she's also put a note with it saying give our love to Elodie with it as well that's amazing so they they are they they are aware that they have a small person named after one of their songs which is quite cool because I sent them a I sent, sent them a Facebook message a while ago that's wonderful man yeah and uh they deserve it because the song's amazing and uh I do think that that's that'd be a pretty cool thing if somebody had told me that they had a um, small child named after one of my songs, but it'd be a bit weird because they'd have a small. They might end up having a small child called Murder Ballad or uh, Classic Forty Five or something, and that's just strange. That, that that's not as nice a name as Elodie. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Here's my son Supernova. It's uh, yeah, that could that nearly works. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are worse names. Yeah, but, um, didn't didn't Elon Musk recently name his? Child two X four B or something like that. Uh, it's yeah, it, yeah, named after Crichton's middle name. Yes, that's the one. <laughs> no, it so, was definitely something like A hyphen zero or something, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Uh, I've not memorised it, so I don't know exactly what it is. And but yeah, it, it was like a robot name. But I think you it, did better than Elon Musk there. <laughs> well, I'd, you know, I've, I've got to do better than him in something. I haven't done better than him in 
being a billionaire. He's definitely beaten me at that, although I've not tried very hard. No. <laughs> you're a musician, mate, as if you're going to be a millionaire. It, uh, 50p air would be good at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so when Melody was born, did you decide to have a naming ceremony, a christening or any other ceremony to welcome her into the world? We didn't. It was a slight bone of contention in the family a little bit. Because mm. as we'll get into a little bit later on, my wife, Helen, comes from... She she isn't herself particularly, but she comes from quite a religious family. Um, her dad was a Methodist minister. Okay. And her, her mum is a very religious, goes to church every week, um, whole life pretty much built around the church kind of thing. Mm. And my, see, my my mum thinks she is religious, but isn't at all. She never goes to church, but she was very, it's quite important to her that I was christened. And I've never really understood right. why, because she was never, you know, I, I used to go to Sunday school when I was a kid, but, I think that's the last time she really went to any church or anything like that. But mm. I am a very much, pretty much an atheist, and I I felt really uncomfortable with the whole thing. And there was, for a while, there was conversations going on about where we were going to get Ellie christened. And in the end, I got my way, really, which is a little bit harsh, um, but I, I would have felt so uncomfortable with... Because it it would have had to have been a Christian christening, rather than a, a like a humanist naming ceremony or something like that, which I'd be more comfortable with. But it was mm. the whole, you know, you've you've got to do all this stuff about talking about how you're gonna, you know, teach her about God and stuff like that, which I try and avoid as much as I can, really. <laughs> yeah. And I, I I really felt like I would be being a hypocrite to uh, to go through with it, so. We chose not to, and and haven't <laughs> as of yet. She knows what her name is. Everyone knows what her name is. It's fine. For me, I was also in a similar situation to you. I was christened, and I'm not a Christian. I'm I'm, I'm not. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be a very bad humanist celebrant if I was. <laughs> and it's something that you can't change. So yeah. I think there's there's a lot of people that feel very similarly to you in that way. And I think, for for what you're saying, in a lot of cases, a naming ceremony or a a wedding by a humanist celebrant can be used almost as a neutral. For example, yeah. I've done weddings where I had two different types of Christian. They couldn't agree. So they had a nice outdoor wedding with a humanist celebrant. And everybody was happy with that. Yeah. Right, as opposed to one type of Christianity being very pleased and the other one feeling like they'd been hard done to. Like they'd lost, yeah. Yeah, so I think really there's only two ways to solve it and it's nothing at all or something that could be seen as a neutral. So I think Yeah. I think it it's yeah. You don't I, I shouldn't say this, I'm just qualified in naming ceremonies, but you, you don't need <laughs> one. They're just something that's really, really nice. My uh my sister and her husband, when um Stanley, their son, was uh not long after, I think he was about probably four or five months old, they had a, a bit of a party and just called it a Stanley's Welcome to the World party, mm. which I was in a band with John, my brother-in-law at the time, and we played at it. And, um, yeah, that that was just a nice sort of family get-together, but there was no sort of ceremony component to it at all mm. and, and that kind of thing. It's like with the... Um, the me being christened thing. I remember having a a massive blazing row with my mum when I was, I think I must have probably been 18 or 19. It was whenever it was that there was that census where there was the campaign to try and get everybody to say that their religion was Jedi. Oh, I remember it well. I think I did put Jedi, to be honest. Yeah, well, well I, I was adamant that I really wanted to put that down because it aligns a lot more with my beliefs than, than anything else. You know, Star Wars has always been there for me. But, yeah, that that's when my mum was saying, no, where had you christened? And 
I ended up losing that one. And then when I lived on my own for a later census, I just, by that point, just put non-religious. <laughs> yeah. I think for me, yeah. I do regret putting that I was a Jedi because it skewed the figures. It didn't put Jedi down as non-religious. And so it gave an unfair advantage to the religious folk. So in yeah. future, I would recommend not doing dumb gags because it just means you're not going to get represented. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I can dig that. But, you know, I was a teenager and I thought it was hilarious and I certainly wasn't a Christian at the time. I'd very much lost my faith by the time I was 12, yeah. 13, 14. I, I, I didn't believe in God anymore by the time I was at senior school. But um, I didn't really understand the implications of what I was doing by putting down Jedi in there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Plus, Star Wars is cool. <laughs> Star Wars is brilliant, but it shouldn't skew national figures. Yeah, depends what the figures are about. If they're national <laughs> figures about, is Star Wars better than Star Trek? Yes, it is. Sorry, Tony yes. and all the other uh, Star Trek podcasts on our network. Oops. I know. <laughs> we, should, we should have a Star Wars podcast on um, the network as well to balance things out. I'm not doing it. <laughs> No, I haven't got the time. <laughs> no. So if you had another child, do you think it would remain the status quo then? Do you think that you would do the same and just not celebrate in a kind of formal way at all? Yeah, I, I, I think that's, that's how it would be. I don't think we're, we're not planning on having another one because one's enough. She's ace. <laughs> Next one might have been rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to talking about weddings. First question's a nice simple one. Are you married? I am, yes. Married to Helen, and she's brilliant. Okay, cool. Well, then tell me about your wedding day. Uh, It was utterly, utterly, utterly brilliant. One of, you know, people go on about how, you know, it's supposed to be one of the best days of your life, and it, it really was. It was, we had an absolutely amazing day. We did most things pretty much on our own terms, so... We did get married in a church. It was at the the Methodist church that Helen's mum and dad both go to. So Mm. there was a religious component to it. We did things a little bit of a a weird way round because we, I mean, we we did get married uh, fairly soon after we met. It was less than a year and a half after we first met, I think, if I've added that up right. Cool. That is quite quick, but it's not... Super quick. It's it's not super quick, but w- the reason that we did that is um, Helen's dad had got motor neurone disease, and right. we we wanted to make sure that he could participate as much as possible in it while he still could, because obviously he was losing his motor functions. Uh, he was already in a wheelchair. He'd still totally got his um, power of speech. You know, his brain was still there, and that, that that's a really lovely thing that you did i think and it's really really important to i bet it was important to helen as much as it was to him oh yeah definitely definitely so so we what we did is we had helen's mum walked her down the aisle because uh michael her dad was was in the um he was in a wheelchair so he was waiting at the front so we sort of swapped that bit traditionally Hmm. and and then what we decided to do is we had um the speeches as part of they they were so we had the wedding ceremony and then after the ceremony we had some a few refreshments in the church um it was a methodist church so they couldn't have any alcohol or anything i don't drink anyway so that didn't bother me but we had some mm-hmm. like nice sort of juice type drinks and and some like biscuits and stuff that helen and various people had made and then we went back into the church to do the speeches in there so Helen's mom and dad both did a joint speech together, um, which was really nice. That's cool. My best man was my uh, best friend, Sarah. So I had a, a best, a, a female best man. Good. Because <laughs> I've got, I'm, I'm quite lucky. I've got quite a few sort of equal best friends. So I got them all involved in different parts. So I'd got, um, three ushers, uh, which Ian, my co-host on 
two of my podcasts was one of the ushers. But we, I got Sarah to be the best man because she is a teacher and really organised, and I knew that she would be the, uh, the you know, the best person to sort of round me up and do what needed to be done. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And, help out that kind of way we, we, we also had um tracy um my other co-host on we dig music um did a reading in the, the ceremony as well which was from stardust by neil gaiman nice a, a passage from that and yeah we so so we had the the speeches you sort of bit there and then we went over to um so they, this was in selly oak methodist church in in Birmingham but then the ceremony was over at a place called the Ark in Alf Church just outside of Birmingham um for the the reception but at the end of the ceremony when everybody was turning their phones on everybody had got loads of people had got missed calls and voicemails on their phones so we checked what it was and the band which was some of our mates that are in a band with Ian um, who were supposed to be there setting up, were all saying, uh, the venue's locked up, what are we supposed to do? And we worked out from speaking to them that, so they should have been at the Ark in Alf Church. They'd gone to a different venue called the Ark, the other side of Birmingham. Oh, dear. So we we got them the directions of where they actually needed to go to. They were supposed to be all set up by the time we got there, but what ended up happening was we drove over to, to the Ark in Alf Church and... It ended up with me and my dad helping the the band set the PA up and everything when we first got there. <laughs> and because for the uh, for the reception we we'd done everything, we didn't want to have like an expensive sort of you know blowout of paying for hiring loads of stuff that you don't necessarily need. We just wanted all our friends there. We wanted loads of good music from our friends' bands and my bands and stuff playing. Um, hmm. So I played in two different bands on the day. <laughs> oh, so you actually played your own wedding? Yeah, yeah. For goodness sake. Take a day off, mate. <laughs> um, well, we've got, uh, we've got a sort of traditional family wedding band. Uh, me, uh, my dad and my brother-in-law, John. Um, of, whenever there's a family wedding these days, um, we play at it. Okay, that's pretty cool. I'll give you that. Still, take a day off. But, well, the best bit of that was we did a cover of All Along the Watchtower by uh, Jimi Hendrix, originally by Bob Dylan. And we've got this, there's this traditional thing where I used to do uh, a lot of open mic nights. Um, and we'd got this regular thing of we, we quite often used to do All Along the Watchtower and jam it for 15, 20 minutes quite often and jam it with whoever was, was around. So right. what we decided to do for this one was I taught Helen the baseline. So without telling anybody, so nobody knew it was going to happen until it happened, I just called Helen out up on, on stage. I grabbed a different guitar and passed her the bass. My dad was playing lead guitar uh, with the guitar behind the back of his head because he's a bloody show-off. <laughs> and, yeah, it, it, it meant that we'd got uh, my my wife on bass me on guitar and vocals, my dad on lead guitar and my brother-in-law on drums. And it was brilliant. And we had, like, you know, various other friends playing throughout the uh, the evening. And, uh, yeah, it was ace. It was, uh, we didn't have a DJ, I just made a playlist, edited it all so it flowed really well and, and stuff like that. And it was just a brilliant day. We The only thing I regret about the day is not eating enough from the wood-fired pizza oven. <laughs> we'd hired because that was amazing um but we'd also for the for the rest of the food we just got loads of different types of cheese and then we just got near enough everybody that was coming baked cakes well not everybody but we had about 40 or 50 different cakes that everybody could try and uh i like cake cake's good i like cake it's it was it was a bloody brilliant day we had a, a absolutely lovely time yeah Oh, and um, we had, there were quite a lot of kids at the wedding because there's my nephew Stanley and and various others and we uh, decided that any children, if they wanted to, for the uh, reception bit could do fancy dress. So we had loads of superheroes running around, which was awesome. There's like 
midget. <laughs> I was going to say midget Ant-Man, but that's kind of his thing anyway. Um, but yeah, we've got a very small Ant-Man and very small Batman running around, which was brilliant. <laughs> that's so lovely. I think that just seems like such a thoughtful ceremony that incorporates everything that was important to you and your family in your life. Yeah, definitely. That's what weddings should be, in my opinion. And that's yeah. kind of kind of why I do what I do in a lot of ways, is because I really believe how people's weddings should be bespoke. Yeah. That's, that's, that's so cool. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I, going back to the religious sort of aspects of the, the main ceremony, the minister who did the ceremony for us, she was brilliant because she sat down and, and talked to me and Helen beforehand, and I said, look, I'm obviously a bit uncomfortable about all of the you know religious aspects and she helped with with her help we reworded it uh, reworded it <laughs> we reworded all like the vows that i had to say so that i'd got all the bits that they had to say for like the the legal bits and the traditional bits that they have to have in in the wedding ceremony but i was able to say I can't remember exactly what the words were, but it, it definitely took lots of the, um, you know, the God aspect out of it and stuff. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty cool minister, actually. Yeah, she she was. Big respect to her for that. I think that's, like I say, I, I, I take great pride in the fact that my weddings are completely bespoke, and she seems yeah. pretty on the level for that. Good work. Yeah, I was I was very, very impressed by it. And uh, yeah, the, the whole day was amazing. Uh, and and brilliant and then we went to america for our honeymoon which was amazing as well because that's when i ended up playing a gig in um the just accidentally played a gig in the bar out of fallout new vegas (laughs) cool that is cool so i mean you are so into music one of my favorite questions is what song did you pick for your first dance yeah so we there, there were a few songs that were quite important that we had throughout the day. So the first dance was both of our favourite um, is The Cure. Um, in fact, we got engaged at a Cure gig in uh, in Hammersmith the, the December before we got married. Cool. So we wanted to have um, Just Like Heaven, but it's a little bit too fast, the, the original. So there's a... There's a really, really nice um, cover by a um, duo called the Watson Twins, who are right. twin sisters who do really nice sort of close part harmony, sort of Americanery country esque kind of sounding. Um, they they did an album with um, Jenny Lewis, who uh, we actually went to see Jenny Lewis on our honeymoon. Um, so she's somebody else that we're both really into. Um, she used to mm. be a band called Rilo Kylie years ago. Okay, and uh, she's sort of indie folk country type stuff. But so we'd got that as the the first dance. The best bit about the first dance is that the arc, the the venue that we were in, um, has the the front is like a sort of triangular, big, massive, giant windows. So the whole front of the building is is glass, and the entire time Ooh. that we were doing the first dance. I was trying to manoeuvre Helen round so that the sun was in her eyes. <laughs> You're vile. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. It was brilliant because she hadn't worked out what I was what I was doing first of all, and then she worked it out, and then I was just laughing my head off. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> but we'd 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 also got there were other bits of the cure in the ceremony earlier, so we'd um, for the bits where we were signing the register. Uh, we had um, Charlie and Liz, who were both in my band, Driven Like the Snow. Uh, they were doing various Cure covers while we were signing the register. And then the the music while Helen walked down the aisle was um, Hoppy Poller by Cigarettes, which wow. is ace. So music's pretty important, as I... I, I don't know if I've mentioned that. Yeah. <laughs> well, do you know, since I started doing this show, I've been threatening to put together... A playlist on Spotify of all the songs that people have mentioned on yeah. on Life's Milestones, and I really, really, really should do that now, shouldn't I? Yeah, it will just take you a while to, you know, note down all of the ones I've mentioned so far. Well, yeah, and I'll, I'll do that as I edit it. But um, I think oh. as I've had a musician on the show, I really should pull my finger out and and behave and get that sorted. I think, and I, 
If I don't do it, you have permission to shout at me. <laughs> I'll just put it together for you and uh, send it over if you don't. <laughs> yeah, okay, that, that, fine. <laughs> <laughs> So let's talk about death. This is ah. the kind of very serious part of the show, but it doesn't need to be. Yes. I've always said that the taboo of death is something that I'm trying to work against in this show. So the, the yeah. first question is a bit grim, but I, I think it's an important one. Are you scared of death? Yeah, I reckon I am. But it's more that I've got too much stuff I want to do. And I don't want to not be with Helen and Elodie. And, you know, I've got too much love to give, man. And all that kind of thing, you know. <laughs> do, you, do you feel like it's more a, a fear of an early death then rather than death itself? Probably. But then you might have to ask me that again when I'm older. <laughs> I don't, don't know yeah. if it... Yeah, yeah, it'd still count as an early death if I'm 38, wouldn't it? Yeah. Definitely. You only had half your life, mate. <laughs> I had a uh, a mini stroke uh, about six years ago at TIA. Good grief! That scared the crap out of me a bit because it's a bit like uh, potentially I know I've got a very good chance of knowing how I might die now. <laughs> right? Because uh, the way they explained it was basically a uh, a TIA is like a warning shot, and it's like you got to sort yourself out and, uh, you know, lose weight and be a bit healthier so that you don't get another one. And part of the problem that I have is most of the things that they tell you that you need to give up, like drinking, smoking, uh, that kind of thing, I already don't do and never have done. Oh. So uh, it's just a case of they want me to eat less nice food and do more exercise. Um, so I'm doing more exercise at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, do you think that that unfortunate medical problem has changed how you feel about death? Possibly, yeah. Yeah, I, th I think so. But I also, I think more uh, the fact that I've got my awesome family and awesome friends is, is what's most important. Don't want to leave all them behind. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it, isn't it? That's... In my opinion, that's the most important part of life is the people that you spend it with. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, can't argue with that at all. <laughs> so have you ever experienced the death of a loved one? I have. Uh, so there's, there's two that were particularly significant and they both, like as, as we've sort of talked about earlier, um, with like my attitude to to religion, they both completely shifted it. So the first one was was my gran, who died about I think it was about eight or nine years ago now. Hmm. And uh, when up until she died, I was very very anti religion. I was uh, my general philosophy on particularly on on Christianity because that's the one I know the most about was mm. that it was all designed to control people and I'd got this image in my head that people who that, that most I think I'd only looked at the bad aspects of it so you know people that were standing outside abortion clinics and stuff like that and uh yeah you know, people that were against gay marriage and, and that kind of thing, and it was all about oppressing people. And when when my gran died, I went to her funeral. Uh, and I, I thought about it a fair bit recently because when I'm going on my walks, she actually um, lived not far from where I live now, and mm. I walk past the uh, the church where her funeral was right. quite quite regularly because it's, it's in Harbourne where I, I sort of walk to. And um, in the ceremony at the time, there were I, I never really talked to my grand much about religion, but her, my my granddad died like thirty years before, like not not quite thirty. I think it was like twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven years before. Early enough that you don't really remember him. Yeah, I've I've got sort of vague memories of him. Um, he died when I was like, uh, I think he died in eighty five or eighty six. So I was three or four. 
and I have a memory of when he died, um, I can remember my mum telling me that he just faded away and thinking that he actually physically faded away and disappeared um, for, for quite Why? a while. Um, but, but yeah, my, my gran, when, when she died, she, um, she'd been ill-ish for quite a while. She'd been in various homes and had to go into to various hospitals and that kind of thing. And her funeral, they were speaking a lot about how she'd got a lot of comfort from her religion. And I realised that because she had this this faith and this belief, she was fine because for her perception of it, what was happening when she was, was dying was she was going back to see my granddad, who she'd not seen for, you know, they, they'd been together for 40-something years, then he died, and it had nearly been that long again since he died. Right. And in... For, for what she believed, she was she was going to heaven to to see my granddad again, which is which is beautiful, and that completely changed my attitude uh, for a while <laughs> um, about yeah. about religion because it made me appreciate how much it does help people, and yeah. as long as long as people aren't using it to oppress people, it, it made me believe that. It, it really could be a good thing. It didn't make me uh, believe in any of it, but in some ways it sort of made me wish I did. I was with you until the wish you did, but yeah, I, I completely understand everything that you're saying. And, and... Yeah. Is it, well, it, 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 was like, it, it was like almost wish I did, but, but then the next one, which kind of sort of turned it back around again, was Michael, my father-in-law, Helen's dad, because right. when I first met him, he'd, he already had motor neurone disease. So um, when we first met him, he already he could, he could do a tiny bit of walking with a frame a little bit, but most of the time he just had to sit in his chair and a wheelchair and Helen or, or Mary, my mother-in-law, had to um, help feed him. Because he could, he could still eat and everything. He, he, his swallowing was okay at that stage, mm. but it's, it was a case of of seeing how I, I never knew him before he was diagnosed with neurone disease. Right, but then when it, when he actually died, it was it was sudden, which in a way was good because he never got to the stage where he couldn't talk. Um, he never yeah. got to the stage where he couldn't communicate, which would be terrible for, for him particularly because his whole life he was a, he was a Methodist minister and right. his, his whole life was based around talking to people and having conversations with people about their experiences. He would bloody love this podcast. It, it would be, <laughs> something he would absolutely love because he loved talking to people about their their life and their stories and and what was interesting about them whenever he he used to have different carers that would come to visit him um to help mary out with with looking after him and and you know cleaning him and everything yeah you know particularly towards the end when he couldn't even sort of lift himself out of the the chair he had to get carers to come around and he they were quite often sort of uh people that had were from different religions and backgrounds and that kind of thing and he'd have conversations with about them about their various faiths and what they believed in and, and their their growing up and, and that kind of thing and yeah he he did so so much good and he, he was just a massive force for good and his whole life was devoted towards religion and mm. When he died, it kind of made me think, well, that confirms to me in my head that there isn't a God. Because if there was one, why would he treat someone that, you know, had devoted their entire life like that? It just made me angry, you know. And, and I've, it, it took me a while to sort of come to terms with it and obviously so much worse for, for Helen because he's her dad. Yeah, of course. 
I think moments like that make you really think about empathy and yeah. just human kindness. It doesn't matter who has what faith. And yeah. you, I want to talk about what something that you kind of like mentioned ever so briefly, that you were anti-religious and then you learned that that's not not a way to be. And I think yeah. you... the. The human condition is that you will always focus on the negative. You yeah. could have had a week where you had the best time with your partner and then you have an argument and all you remember is the argument. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And people, non-religious people tend to remember stuff like Fred Phelps, stuff like yeah. protesting outside abortion clinics. They don't yeah. remember the vicar who looked after people and was genuinely kind to them and, yeah. and things like that. Yeah, the, the community and stuff. And I feel that you have to take a step back and remember that regardless of what that person believes, they feel the way you feel. They physically yeah. and mentally are built the same way as you. Yeah, definitely. And and it's so it's like it didn't switch off that part of me. It, it's it reaffirmed my atheism rather than agnosticness mm. basically but at the same time didn't turn off the fact that everything michael ever did was good he was absolutely yeah. amazing absolutely beautiful person and he did so much good in the world and there are so many more people like him around whether they're religious or not the religion doesn't need yeah. to come into it really it's whether you're a good person and you want to make a positive outcome on the world and, and help people, and that is what's the most important thing. I think you might, and I think there's always an element of remembering the bad stuff. So, you know, yeah, the, the one that I mentioned before, Fred Phelps, I, I, I felt like he represented religious people and they all hated me. And yeah. I remember very vividly a friend of mine who was religious, I said something smarmy when he said on, on Facebook when he... This was 10, 15 years ago, like really early Facebook, like within a, a, a year of having it. Yeah. And I said something smarmy about it. And he replied with, all atheists are like this to me. Yeah. And I took a step back and I was like, shit. Because yeah. in my head, all people of faith were like that to me. Yeah. And I'd been a hypocrite. I'd been just as bad as all of these hateful religious folk that had been abusive to me and yeah. I hadn't even spotted it. So I think yeah, in a lot of ways, people need that epiphany. People need to realize that their yeah. shit stinks. And all these people that you think oppress you, if you're not careful, people like you can oppress people like them. Yeah, definitely. And I, I just think that, you know, the most important thing is just try and be a positive force for good in the world and as long as you're doing yeah. that it doesn't matter what your stories are that that back it up <laughs> yeah absolutely so i want i want to talk to you about your own funeral now i like this part of the podcast <laughs> i know that makes me a little bit morbid but i do find <laughs> it fascinating what people want for their own funeral let's let's kind of make it a little bit more positive and a bit less, a bit less earnest on my part um <laughs> do you have you decided whether you want to be buried or cremated or something else I want to be uh, stuffed. You know, like them uh, bears that you, you see in, like, stately homes with their arms up in the air going, grrr. I want to be like that, just in the corner <laughs> of the room somewhere, so people come in. Eat. But apparently, I, I, apparently I'm not allowed to do that. I don't think that's legal, mate. <laughs> Which is a shame, because that would be awesome, or at least hilarious. You know, you could put different different outfits on me. <laughs> you wouldn't be there to know. Yeah, true, but I, I can still laugh at things in the future that haven't happened yet. True. I, I love setting up things that people are going to find later on that will be funny. But um, no, <laughs> uh, I, I think I, I, I really don't like the idea of, of burials. Mm. I don't like the whole, the thought that my family would f feel obligated to go and visit a plot of land where I was buried somewhere. Mm. So, and also, I don't like the fact that I'd be taking up so much space. You know, there, there's uh, there's finite space 
in the universe. So I, I think I would err on the side of create uh, creation, err on the side of cremation of of mm. the two choices. And I really like the idea of. I would hope that it doesn't happen for you know oh, a couple of hundred years yet, but I would like the idea of when me and Helen have both snuffed it to both be cremated and have maybe Elodie go on an adventure somewhere to scatter the ashes somewhere cool. Probably my, one of my favourite places that we went to on our honeymoon was uh, we went to San Francisco. We were really lucky because... Uh, have you ever been to San Francisco? I was very young. I think I was about 14 or 15 when I went. Was it foggy when you were there? I really don't remember. I remember the, the streetcars being awesome, like a roller coaster. We never went on one. That's one of the things I really regret is we didn't go in the, the streetcars. We saw them, obviously, but we, we were only in San Francisco for a couple of days. We were in LA for a mm. lot longer and we were in Vegas for a little bit at the start and had a bit of a road trip. But um, normally people go to San Francisco and the weather is a bit crap and it's really foggy and people go to, to see the Golden Gate Bridge and they just see two little bits sticking out the top of this massive cloud of, of, uh, of fog. But we went... <laughs> We went on a city tour in a little minibus and we were really lucky because the weather was perfect. It was really nice, sunny, clear day. Right. And we went across the Golden Gate Bridge to the other side and went to the Marin Headlands and it's one of the most beautiful views I've ever seen. It was really windy. But we were mm. earlier in the week we'd been to the Grand Canyon and this despite being everything we could see was pretty much man-made because it was the city and it was the Golden Gate Bridge, I thought it was a, a more beautiful view than pretty much anything I'd ever seen. Ridiculously windy, so if somebody is going there to scatter some ashes, they're probably going to get it blown back in their face. That might not be the best idea I've ever ever had. But uh... Well, you can <laughs> research the, the direction of the wind. I mean, there's, there's those... Class, I can't remember what sitcom it was where... I think it might have been Benidorm, where they got like the ashes in their face for, for laps. It happens in uh, the Big Lebowski. Yes, it does. It does happen in the Big Lebowski as well. And I think all you need to do is kind of research yep. the direction of the wind. Surely it's not that hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's really lovely. I like the idea of your daughter retreading your steps yeah. and kind of like then scattering your ashes there that's so lovely what what's most important is that i'd want her to have an adventure and you know do something positive yeah. <laughs> Try not to be too upset really which i know is difficult but <laughs> no that's cool man that's really cool and um, have you had any thoughts about a reading that you would like to be done at your funeral i haven't i've been trying to think of this and i i can't really think of anything Rutger Hauer's death speech from Blade Runner, maybe. <laughs> I've seen, cool. seen things you wouldn't believe, attack ships on fire, you know, all that kind of thing. But probably not. I'll probably think of something later on. Hopefully you won't have to know for a while. Well, quite. Although I may have just jinxed it and it'll be before this podcast goes out. <laughs> oh, don't say stuff like that. Come on. It's not, it's not like I believe in karma or fate or any of that stuff. <laughs> bloody hell. Might get you a few more downloads. <laughs> Wow, that's bleak. Oh, I love gallows humour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think I think that's part of why I like this part of the show possibly the most is that it can be funny. It can be. Yeah, it's yeah. allowed to be funny. Yeah. I did, I did a funeral the other day where they had me quoting Carry On Screaming. Excellent. It's allowed to be funny if the person was funny. Was that frying tonight just as they were going into the cremation bit yes it was that's beautiful i stood in front of a load of people and <laughs> did a um kenneth williams impression in a crematorium yes i did that is a beautiful beautiful thing i've i've told you about this before but uh not on this podcast so some people might not have heard it but i used to work for a uh, a funeral company in the i used to work in the call center like setting up the funeral plans and stuff and uh we had a, a lady phone up one day who told me that she wanted she wanted to be buried in fancy dress because her daughter-in-law, who she didn't get on with, was terrified of people in fancy dress. And then 
<laughs> so she was basically just wanted to troll her from beyond the grave. And then we uh, we definitely had people, there was more than one person requesting Ding Dong the Witch is Dead uh, for their own funeral, which, which is great. <laughs> Brilliant. And then um, that is, well, it's the last stuff I ask, which I am, um, for you is perfect considering how much of a music guy you are. <laughs> What music tracks would you like for the entrance, reflection, and the exit parts of your funeral? Well, we're going to have to book a double slot. Uh, <laughs> Nothing wrong with a double slot. I've, I've not particularly thought of the order of these, but I'd quite like uh, Elodie by Lanterns on the Lake for obvious reasons. Beautiful. And uh, Just Like Heaven by The Cure. But then uh, I would quite like uh, Mogwai Fear Satan by Mogwai to be played uh which is my probably my favorite piece of music ever uh which is uh it's about 17 and a half minutes long and i would stipulate that nobody is allowed to get up until it's finished <laughs> <laughs> even in death you're a wind-up merchant i love that but it's brilliant it's not like i'm putting something uh you know unlistenable on it this will enrich people's lives they need to listen to that music if they haven't heard it they're, they're missing out so I'm not doing it to, you know. I could could put Frankie Teardrop on by uh, by Suicide, which is a particularly harrowing uh, electronic piece of music with loads of really disturbing screaming all over it. But uh, that would be trolling people. But I mean, normally when people book a double slot, it's because there's a lot to say about the person, not a seventeen minute music track. <laughs> my my little cousin Danny, when she died uh, about five years ago. She had Gangnam Style played, which was hilarious. <laughs> Magnificent. Nobody was expecting it, and everybody, it was as we were uh, walking in, and everybody was like, what? It's Gangnam Style. Amazing. <laughs> I love it. And the thing is, it doesn't have to be something sad. It doesn't have to be something traditional. It's something that will remind people of you. And, yeah. you know, I would find the fact that I had to sit my ass in a creme for 17 minutes... I, I don't think I'd be forgetting you anytime soon. Excellent. <laughs> Good. That'd be, that's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on, Colin. I love doing this podcast. I get completely different stories from completely different people. And, yeah. well, frankly, you've surpassed even what I was expecting of you. You've been brilliant. <laughs> Where can people find you on the internet if they want to? find you and your work okay so uh my both of my podcasts are on the uh we made this network so uh you can find them on there but if you want to they're all collected on a website together which is my own website uh, called we dig podcasts.com uh which has also got my friend mike driver does a podcast called mixed hates with mike which is also worth listening to but yeah we dig music and uh free with this month's issue are both all on there you can find us on twitter uh we dig music pcast on twitter and instagram uh if you search we dig music on facebook you can find it on there free with this month's issue you can find by searching this month's issue on twitter free with this month's issue on instagram which mark hates I don't like Instagram. <laughs> and uh, same if you search free with this month's issue on Facebook, you should find it and in your podcast app of choice. And uh, if you want to find just me to see my sort of randomness, what is my Twitter? Why Fear Satan is my Twitter. That's it. You're, yeah, I was going to say, you're, you're, I now know why your Twitter is called Why Fear Satan. <laughs> I had to think which Mogwai song it was because I'm new past to Helicon which is a different Mogwai song on Instagram and superheroes of BMX on the PlayStation network. <laughs> so, you know, different Mogwai songs for different occasions, but yeah, Mogwai mm. Fear Satan on Twitter is, is me just generally arguing with people politically. Usually if people are being horrible, right wing twats. <laughs> <laughs> Colin, you've been brilliant. Thank you so much. No worries, Mark. I've enjoyed it. Cheers, man. I'd just like to say one more thank you to Colin for telling his stories on Life's Milestones. Some of those stories were brilliant and funny and some of them were really, really sad and all of them were deeply personal. So it is always 
the case that I'm grateful for people who are prepared to come on and chat about their stuff. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed chatting with Colin. And I do promise to get myself sorted with the Life's Milestones playlist. Particularly now I've had a musician on, I feel like it's time to pull my finger out and get that sorted. As soon as that's there, what I will do is I will I will tweet out a link to that Spotify playlist and it will have all of the music from Guy, from Fraser, from Chris, from Kat and also from Colin. So that will be a pretty hefty playlist already, but it will only get bigger as more and more episodes of Life's Milestones happen. So thank you for listening to Life's Milestones and I'll see you next time. Life's Milestones is a podcast by me, Mark Adams. Follow me on Twitter at MarkAdamsHC. That's also my handle for Instagram. If you're looking for my website, it's www.humanist.org.uk forward slash Mark Adams. If you're looking for my Facebook, it's Mark Adams Humanist Celebrant. All the information on how to use me as your celebrant is there. The show's social media is at Life's Milestones on Twitter. Other than that, I am just using my celebrant contacts for the show. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time. Elsewhere on We Made This. Frame to frame. You've actually introduced me to Le Diabolique. Um, you told me a long, long time ago how great it was and that I should buy it on Blu-ray. I listened to you and I did, um, and I never watched Eventually. it until <laughs> <laughs> until this podcast. I, I just didn't didn't watch it, which is you know not great considering the film is phenomenal and Vertigo. So my first exposure to it was through um, my during my A-level film studies class, like you mentioned. Uh, on the wall, there was just the gigantic, iconic orange poster, um, and that sort of intrigued me to see what it was about. And... We dig music. Are they like Trekkies? Are they Modis? Um, actually, probably not, because then people would think they'd support the Prime Minister of India. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if there is a term for Depeche Mode fans. I've not particularly heard one. Perhaps if our podcast hosting label mates from We Buy Records are listening, they can let us know. Paul on that podcast is a very big Depeche Mode fan, so uh, let us know. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. Are you a Modi? Or, ah, uh, yes, Depeche. Helen has, Helen has just looked it up, and yes, they are Modis. Pull or pass. Whatever else you say about the Spawn film, the soundtrack is something else. <laughs> yeah. For the for people who don't know who haven't seen the film, the the soundtrack was essentially get really rather popular rock act and really rather popular dance act and make them mesh something together for said soundtrack and do that 14 times check out all of these shows and more on the we made this podcast network